Well, this episode of the OHL podcast features a player that I got to know towards the tail end of his career. And I don't know, something clicked, I guess, because it sure made me wish I had gotten to know him earlier than the time that I did. But Frankie Corrado, who's now uh, a Canadian Hockey League television personality, joins us on the OHL podcast this week. Frankie, another TV star. I appreciate you making time for little old me. Well, I appreciate you using the word star. You're using it a little loosely there, but uh, appreciate it nonetheless. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty anal when it comes to these things, and I like to go in as much of chronological order as I can, but I feel like I have to start with where you're at now because I turn on my TV to watch CHL hockey this past season, and there's the guy that I covered in the Ontario Hockey League sitting on a desk with a panel covering the league how do you feel about this transition to being in front of the camera yeah we're bringing you the hard-hitting analysis every friday night from uh, january to march and then into the playoffs um that's been cool I, I feel like i always had an interest in talking about hockey whether it was with friends family teammates uh usually one of the more chattier guys so uh you know the fact that uh, this opportunity has presented itself i think it uh, it was a pretty natural transition and um, you know, it was it was a great way to kind of get into the swing of things um, as far as panel work goes. And with the CHL, it was, um, you know, it was cool to see that aspect of it. And, you know, a lot of what we're doing is, is trying to highlight the stars in the league and, you know, the, the draft eligible guys and, and the guys who have drafted who are drafted and, you know, two positions that that I was in um, as a player in the Ontario Hockey League. So I, you know, I kind of put myself back in, in, in that position and in those shoes and, and remember what it was like. And, you know, a lot of the, the emotions and feelings that comes up, it's, it's usually very positive and um, you know, it, it, it kind of puts it into perspective. What a, what a crazy ride um, junior hockey really was and, and all the ups and downs uh, that, that come with it. I can't wait to talk about all of those along the way, but what's I find really interesting about this for you now, you're, doing the analyzing when at one point, of course, in your playing career, you were the one being analyzed. Does that change your perspective at all as now you're doing the analyzing? I might've been doing a little too much analyzing when I was playing, to be honest with you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if much has changed there, but um, no, it's, it's cool because, you know, I was a guy when I played who loved watching hockey. I, I think you play with a lot of guys over the course of a career and, and some guys aren't necessarily into watching the games. I, I could sit and watch a hockey game any night of the week. So, um, and, and when you do watch a game, you have your own kind of thoughts and, and observations and, you know, you watch the panels or the intermissions and you see what, what they're coming up with a lot of the times it's, it's pretty similar. So um, yeah, it, it's cool to kind of watch, watch a period, watch a game, pick certain things out, pick out, you know, certain players to watch. And it was a pretty eye-opening experience as far as, you know, building out an intermission package, let's say, right. Cause you know, we're sitting there on the panel, we're watching the game and um, you know, you have your, your, your headset in and you have your microphone and you're calling into the control room saying, okay, I want this clip. I want that clip. And then you kind of bundle it all together. I actually had no idea. Like I had no idea that's how it works. And um, so it was, it was pretty cool to, to try that for the first time. And I think the more, the more repetitions you get, the more, the more comfortable you get with it. I think that's an interesting peek behind the curtain for fans though, Frankie. So as the analyst, you get to basically make the call of what you want to talk about and help have the control room, find those clips that support 
the angle you want to go with. No idea. Like it, it is a is a collaborative effort for sure. You have your your producer in your ear and, and you're kind of chit chatting about certain things, certain storylines, certain highlights that that happen throughout the period. And sometimes you're kind of at the mercy of I guess what the period gives you. You know, if there's if there's a lot of goals, you're probably highlighting the goals. I think where it where it kind of you get to add your own spin on things is if there isn't a lot of goals, right? So how are you gonna how are you gonna build a few minutes of something to talk about in the intermissions? And so. Um, you know, a good piece of advice from, from Carlo Koliakovo was to always just have a, a notepad and take down uh, game times, right? If you see something that happens, write it down. And then as the period winds down, you can kind of say, okay, let's go to 1430, 10, 20. Well, you know, you have all your different times and, um, you know, see if those make sense as, as far as something to talk about. So yeah, it is, uh, it, it is interesting. And, um, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a team effort when, when we're doing that kind of stuff. You mentioned Carlo and I remember one of your earliest broadcasts and just out of curiosity, does he, does he rub that ring in your face every chance he gets? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we're, you know what? I, I feel like maybe he would if, um, if we had played against each other in the league. So we didn't really cross paths, but, um, yeah, you know what? It would be, it would be pretty cool to have one of those. That is, uh. And unfortunately, uh, um, playoff success in the Ontario Hockey League eluded me for a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. Let's talk about uh, that, that roller coaster career that led, of course, into the National Hockey League and the biggest market. And there was a guy named Sidney Crosby along the way, too. But back at the very beginning, Frankie, would, would Francesco Corrado have gone as far as Frankie Corrado in hockey? <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, it's the same, same person. Just, uh, you know, we ended up using the shorter name just to make things easier going into the Ontario Hockey League and, and even into the NHL. And um, yeah, I don't know why we, we ended up doing that because now you look at it, you know, Francesco Pinelli plays in the league and I think there's Francesco Arcuri plays in the league as well. So, hey, times have changed. Uh, but uh, we were thinking at the time, uh, these guys are going to think I'm like some soccer player or something. So we, uh, <laughs> we went with the changed name. There was a time in my young adult life that for me, Sudbury was Northern Ontario. Then I worked up in Thunder Bay for a while. So I got a better sense of things. And of course the Sioux is in the league, but as a kid from Woodbridge, what's it like when you're drafted to the Sudbury Wolves? What did you know about where you were about to go play? Yeah, it's funny. So we played in the, uh, what's the tournament up there? The big nickel. So oh, we played yeah. in the big nickel and Bantam and Bantam's a little early to start thinking about the Ontario hockey league and the draft and all that kind of stuff. But I remember being up there for the big nickel driving around and saying, God, I hope I don't get drafted by Sudbury and, uh, or something like that. Or like who the hell would want to play here. And uh, sure enough, I got drafted up there, but I'll tell you what, it was, it was the best, like the, the people there, the fans, um, the community, um, the, the, the sense of belonging. I, I absolutely loved it. I loved my time in Sudbury. Um, you know, I've made it a point to go back and visit people, um, you know, as my career has gone on, keep in touch with my billets. And it's funny because, you know, when you, when you go up there for a tournament like that, you have one thought. And then when you actually go and live and play there, um, you just, it, it's totally different. And uh, I really, I couldn't have asked for a, a better uh, place to play, better people to be around, better teammates. It was um, it was such a great experience from start to finish. You mentioned earlier that 
playoff success may have eluded you in your OHL career, but I think it was your second season in Sudbury. You pull off the seven over two upset when the Ottawa 67s were the two seed. And as you know, upsets like that don't happen an awful lot in the Ontario Hockey League. Would that have been the perhaps highlight of your time as a Wolf? I would, I would say so. Yeah. I think that um, it, it might've caught a lot of people off guard, but I don't think it caught us off guard. I, I remember having a feeling that we were going into that playoff series and everything was just kind of going right for us um, towards the tail end of that season. We were really coming alive and we had some really good players. I mean, Michael Scarbosa, uh, Marcus Foligno, um, you know, you go up and down the list. We had, we had some really good players, Josh Levo, that was a big coming out party for him. And, um, you know, it felt like everything was, was coming alive. And I think we had, you know, we had some guys pushing to get drafted, myself being one of them and, and Levo and Sefton. And, um, so it was, it was a lot of things coming together at the right time. And I think that playoff series did a lot for, for a lot of guys on that team. Um, and like you said, you don't, you don't see that very often. The, OH, the OHL, it's, you know, the good teams are the good teams, the, the transitioning teams are somewhere near the bottom and, there's not uh, not many upsets, um, but that that series, you know, even though it was a four game sweep, I remember sitting there after the fourth game saying, wow, that took a lot out of us. You know, we, we really had to play at such a high level the whole time to win those four games. And, you know, that the thing about that Ottawa team at any point with the players that they had, you know, Tyler Toffoli and Shane Prince and um Peter Morazic and that like at any point you know if we kind of let our guard down that was a team that could that could really um come back and, and make a series of it so I just remember being on such high alert that whole time and um even going into the next series against Mississauga we were you know we were clearly outmatched they were hosting the Memorial Cup that that year but um you know as as you moved on in the playoffs you kind of got to see um it was, it was my first taste of how cool playoff hockey is, right? Because there's teams eliminated now. There's more people watching you. There's more attention on it. The stakes are higher. And um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And, and I think it, it really helped personally um, with that draft. Like I, I wasn't really on, you know, any kind of draft list, any radar. And then, you know, sort of after that, things, things picked up. So it's amazing what playoff success can do for, uh, for a player at that age. That's a great point. And we'll come back to that draft to the National Hockey League as we move through this story. But it would be impossible, of course, to talk about the Sudbury Wolves without talking about the wolf itself. There was a great video that just came mm-hmm. out last year. of the, and, and I like to make fun of it, Frankie, only because I think it's the same wolf that's been there for the entire time of the arena, like 70 years now. I think it could use a little, maybe it should be restuffed. I don't know, but the wolf on the wire is a signature of that Sudbury arena. When you're playing for the team, what's your opinion of the wolf? I love the wolf. I think it's cool. I think it's unique. You know, you, you don't go to many arenas and, and see uh, a stuffed animal hanging from the ceiling. Uh, one thing we used to do, actually, which was, um, I don't know if you find it funny or not, but, um, you know, we talk about, you know, welcoming rookies into the league every once in a while. Um, I don't know. It happened to me. It happened to a few other guys. Every once in a while, there was a little uh, incident where the wolf would be dressed up in someone's hockey equipment. Um, And you would see it as you're walking into the arena and you'd say, oh, I hope that's not my gear up there. And uh, for me, it was. For a few other guys, it was as well. And uh, then the race was on to uh, reel that thing back in, get it undressed and, and get yourself ready for practice and try not to be late. 
so very unique. And uh, I, I think the, the players, the players for, for Sudbury, um, I think they appreciate that wolf and, 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 and the character that it adds to the arena and, and the home game experience. You and I obviously connected after your trade to the Kitchener Rangers because cross-conference, of course, it's only one trip a year up to Sudbury. So you would have gotten a taste of how easy, frankly, is. I every time I complain about a trip, I think about the teams up north. So the travel so much easier, of course, when you get into the Western Conference and particularly the Midwest Division. But as a Sudbury Wolf, when you play extra games against the Sioux because that's one of your closest geographic rivals. And this was before North Bay was back in the league. So what was travel like for you as a junior hockey player with Sudbury? Yeah, like I, I didn't know anything different. I only knew the, the Sudbury travel. So we'd be going to Barrie, we'd be going to Sault Ste. Marie, we'd be going down to Mississauga, Brampton at the time, and we'd be doing the, all those day of. Um, so, you know, it, it was a little more difficult. I think the hardest, the hardest thing was to do a Brampton uh, two o'clock game uh, where we would leave early in the morning. We'd probably leave around 8 a.m., get to Brampton at noon, um, you know, play the game and drive back to Sudbury. Those ones were always hard. And going into Brampton, having to play against Stan Butler's battalion was never easy anyways. Um, and Mississauga always had good teams under Dave Cameron if we ever did, did that trip. So um, it, it was tougher. It was such a breath of fresh air when I got traded to Kitchener and we were doing 20 minutes to Guelph and um, you know, not very far to London. It's like, you know, those, those seemed like such a breeze and, you know, doing those road trips with, with Sudbury, you're always trying to find creative ways to um, get your feet up on the bus or bring pillows, blankets, try and take a nap. Um, and then even just with, with school, not that I was ever, um, I was somewhat studious. Uh, I won't sell myself short, but uh, you know, it wasn't like the textbooks, um, it wasn't easy to, to, to do schoolwork on the bus, especially, um, you know, when, when being on the bus cuts into that much of your day, right? Like if you play for Kitchener and you're in high school, you're leaving for a Guelph game at, I don't know, four thirty. like you have, you have some time to do something uh, before you leave. So um, yeah, it was interesting. It made for a lot of great times with the guys when, when you're, you're crammed on the bus for that long. And I think that's part of the, the experience in, in, in a place like Sudbury where, you know, you, you have these these really close friendships and, and connections with your teammates because you are, um, you know, you're, you're forced to, to, to get close for, for such a long period of time. Soft, right? In Kitchener, anybody that was grumbling about a two-hour trip to Sarnia, you're like, you guys have no idea what we used to do. There were, there were some very pampered, very pampered players when I arrived in Kitchener. I won't name names. How did you find out about that trade? You mentioned Josh Levo earlier. Obviously, he was part of it. A goaltender year with in Sudbury. Uh, Joel Vieno also came down to Kitchener. But how did you find out that you'd been traded from the Wolves to the Kitchener Rangers? Yeah, you know what? I think it was a little while in in, in the making. Um, There was a couple other teams that um, had sort of inquired or tried to make trades. And um, I think for me... um, it came down to the fact that I thought Kitchener was a great place to play. I think it's the best arena in the league. Um, you know, you just hear so many great things about being a Ranger and what that all entails. And, um, you know, playing in a small market like Sudbury, I think it was very enticing to, uh, to accept the trade to a place like Kitchener where, you know, you're playing, you know, essentially in an arena that looks like what Maple Leaf Gardens was and, you know, in front of 8,000 people and some of the loudest fans and, you know, not that Sudbury wasn't, but, you know, it is, it is, um, you know, a little bit of a bigger market that way. So I thought that was really cool. And even the chance to play for spotter and play with guys like Ryan Murphy and, 
um, to be its reader and, 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 you know, to have Josh um, included in the deal, I think that was the, that was the no brainer. And we were actually living together um, in Sudbury at the time. So that made things a lot easier for us because we just lived together in Kitchener um, after the trade. And so, um, I, I think it just made a lot of sense for us. I think some of the other teams, maybe uh, we didn't feel um, were as well positioned as Kitchener. Um, unfortunately, we did run into those those pesky London Knights in, in the playoffs. And when you look back at the rosters um, or the roster that London had that season, and you look at the players, um, yeah, it's, it's not a not a shock as to why they they did end up beating us. It was, it was quite the impressive roster. And um, but yeah, it was. It was um, it was a no brainer to to go to Kitchener and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, how could you not love being a, a Kitchener Ranger? It's such a cool experience. You mentioned the Memorial Auditorium as sort of that mini Maple Leaf Gardens, and I make this point frequently because it it kind of blows my mind a little bit. I I love the Sudbury Arena and its charms. I truly do. Those arenas, though, the Sudbury Arena and the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium were built at the exact same time, same cornerstone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. And um, it's just it's just different the way things work. Right. Like and I think the um, the the way the the odd has been renovated and upkept over the years, um, it's got such a such a classic charm to it, but such a like a modern touch. I think it's it's one of the coolest arenas, you know, forget about in the Ontario Hockey League. You know, I've played in the NHL, AHL, played in Europe now. Um, you know, it's just it's so unique and it's so cool to, to walk into that stadium. When you did walk into that stadium with the Kitchener Rangers, there were obviously expectations that season. The Knights that you mentioned already notwithstanding, but that team was gearing up. That's why they acquired you and Josh and Joel and brought you down to Kitchener for a run in front of, of course, John Gibson, arguably the best goaltender the Rangers ever had in their illustrious 60-year franchise. Did you feel pressure? Obviously, you knew what was at stake when the trade was made. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, you know, when it's, it's not, it's not a secret that when players are in their uh, fourth year who are drafted to the NHL and, and putting up points when, when they get traded to a team gearing up for things, uh, you feel the pressure. And, and I think, you know, we, we wanted to go further than we ended up doing. And, you know, it was a big year. It was the 50th anniversary of the Kitchener Rangers. I think there was, um, you know, there was a lot of that narrative and storyline behind it as well. And, um, it's, it's, you know, you, you feel pressure externally, but also internally, um, you know, you have your own pressure because you know that this is your last year. Like this is your last chance at doing something and making some noise in junior hockey. And um, it only lasts for so long. So for the, for the few um, that are fortunate enough to, to leave junior hockey with a championship or, or long uh, playoff runs, it is, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's such a, um, such a great experience that you would hold near and dear to your heart and, um, you know, unfortunately, we did run into the, the London Knights and um, you can always play the game. What if what if uh, what if we didn't run into them? But, um, you know, they were a good team. They were gearing up for it just like we were and, and they got the best of us. But, um, you know, it was um, it was awesome to be a part of playoff hockey at the odd because regular season hockey is is great there. But playoff hockey there is, is next level. Steve Spott has been a guest on this podcast before, and he's been a good friend to the Rangers organization, still supports charitable endeavors that I get behind and all kinds of things like that. What was it like playing for him in Kitchener? Yeah, it was great. Spotter's, uh, Spotter's quite the character himself. He's, um, you know, he's uh, no shortage of charisma and personality on Spotter, as you know, and 
Um, I, I think it was it was good for me to see that because he was very close to you know making his transition into professional hockey. Um, so you know I think he was he was very detailed as a coach, um, demanding but fair. Um, you know, obviously rewarded guys for, for a job well done and, and wasn't afraid to, you know, kind of point out your, your shortcomings from time to time. So um, I think I learned a lot playing for Spotter. He's someone I still keep in touch with to this day, which I think, um, you know, is, is somewhat rare when it comes to the, the time that's passed since we've, we've last, um, you know, been, been under the same roof as, or under the same organization. So I think that's pretty cool. And I think, you know, Spotter has a, there's a level of respect he has for his players. And I think players do respect him um, in return. And, um, you know, we could tell, like, we could tell how bad Spotter wanted, wanted us to win that year. Um, You know, we could see it day to day. We could see it in the practices. We could see it on the bench behind the games. And, you know, I think that's something that, that guys, um, you know, realize and notice and, 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 um, you know, ultimately we, we weren't able to get the job done, but um, it really wasn't for a lack of effort or, or awareness. It sounds like uh, you wanted to win it for him as much as anything else. No. <laughs> <laughs> it matters to you when you're out there, right? Eh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, of course, we love Spotter. We want to win for everybody, you know, not just for Spotter. Sure, sure. You <laughs> yeah. mentioned <laughs> you get to Kitchener, obviously, as an NHL-drafted prospect, Frankie, and that's what every player in this game, everyone listening to this podcast right now, thinks about. They want to come through the uh, Ontario Hockey League or the Canadian Hockey League and make it to that next level. What was it like for you when the Vancouver Canucks drafted you to the National Hockey League? Uh, you know, it was a little unexpected um I, I felt like my uh my first season was pretty slow getting going um and then by christmas of my first like, like i had started to figure out the way the league works and, and how to assert myself and um coming into the second year i just wanted to do a lot of the same uh be very assertive and um, show what i can do as a player and i think i i, I was fortunate that um, you know, my draft year, things kind of lined up really well. I was putting up points, team was winning some games and, you know, getting a little bit of steam there towards the end of the playoffs. But, you know, I think that playoff push really, really helped um, put, put me on the map with some teams. And, um, you know, I think going into the draft, uh, we, I just kind of had this mindset, you know, like you hope for the best, but maybe um, not expecting anything. So I didn't didn't really even go to the draft. I, I think going into it, I was uh, finally on Central Scouting's list at 155, and um, sure enough, got a call on the golf course that day that uh, I was drafted 150th by the Vancouver Canucks, which was um, such a surreal moment. And um, you know, I could never. It's so hard to recreate that feeling, but um, it was yeah, it was it was not expected, but definitely uh, was hoping for it and. Um, it was, it was one of the greatest days you can imagine as a young hockey player. Who was with you on the golf course at the time? Yeah, it was, it was myself and my dad and, and nice. a couple friends. And yeah, we were playing golf to try and uh, get our minds off of things. But, um, with, I found we were just checking our phones all the time anyways. <laughs> it, it must be really cool though, to be able to have shared that moment with your father. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. We left the golf course. As soon as we got the call, we were, I think we were on the 10th hole. We left and we went home and we invited all our friends and family over and 
uh, it was a big party at uh, at our house. When you look back and reflect on those four years in junior, Frankie, is there a moment that stood out for you, obviously, in the earlier years that was like a welcome to the OHL moment? Like, oh, okay, I, I am somewhere now. It's not this Bantam tournament, the big nickel anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you ask that. There is one moment that I was actually talking to someone recently about, um, and it was early on in my first year. Um, and Jeff Bukaboom was the D coach for Sudbury, who I learned so much from. And I actually, I wish I got 10 years playing under Jeff Bukaboom. That's, that's how uh, great of a coach he, he is and, and was, but um, I, I don't know, like the first couple months I was, I was struggling, was struggling, struggling to learn the league, struggling to play my game and had this play behind the net at home in Sudbury. That was just horrible, just a horrible play. And it was no one's fault, but my own. And I came back to the bench and, and Jeff is the nicest, most gentle, gentle giant of a, of a human, but he got right in my face and he said, this is not minor midget anymore. Time to wake up. And um, I think that really hit home for me. And it was a little more stern than that, by the way. I just, um, I can't, I can't take my voice there, but um, yeah, that was, that was a, that was a really good wake up call for me. Um, And then, you know, not to say that from there on in, it was, you know, all sunshine and rainbows, but it was definitely a little bit of a wake up call as far as what the league is all about and and how I need to, you know, get myself to uh, another level um, as a player. So what about that next level then? Because obviously it worked out. You end up playing in the National Hockey League, that first game in the NHL as a Vancouver Canuck. What was it like as the national anthem was playing? Yeah, very, very nervous. Uh, very <laughs> nervous. Uh, but I think the guys around me did such a good job of calming me down. Rick Bonus, uh, none better than him. He just kind of tapped me on the shoulder before the game on the bench and say, hey, buddy, go play, go make mistakes, feel free to, to play your game and, and don't worry about anything else. And, and most importantly, have fun. And um, I think that was kind of the message that I carried with me into that game. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy because you're playing against the Chicago Blackhawks and there's Kane and Taze and Hosa and Keith and Seabrook. And you're looking across, you're like, wow, I'm playing against these guys. This is no joke. And um, I was playing with Alex Sedler as my D partner that game, like all these things you're sort of naive um, as, as, as a player at the time to, you know, everything that's happening around you. And um, it was, yeah, I mean, talk about getting drafted. This was, you know, that to, to another extent. And um, it was, uh, you know, a day I'll, I'll never forget. And um, another one of those that, that, you know, you, you cross off your, your checklist or your bucket list as a, as a young player. I'm pretty sure somewhere in there, the first NHL goal was recorded too, was it not? Um, first NHL goal was afterwards, actually. It was, um, after the, the very last game of the regular season, the next season. Um, so the year that Torts was coaching and I, I got it in the last, the last game against the Calgary Flames. And I mean, I'm sure it's etched in in your memory. What's that? It was was posting in, came, came right around. I got the, there's the, there's the stick and the puck behind me. There it is. Beautiful. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> uh what's it like playing for torts great i mean you know he's very demanding um he wears his heart on his sleeve but he is fair and he cares about his players cares about them as people as well and um you know when you when you see torts around the rink even when you're not playing for him um he's always there to greet you with a, a big smile and even a hug from time to time so he's uh, 
he's quite the interesting character, but he, um, you know, he cares a lot about his guys and he cares a lot about winning. And um, I think he, he pushes guys, but um, I think it, it comes from a place of love. I really do. Well, and you use that word fair, Frankie, and it sounds a little bit like when Jeff Bukaboom had to get in your face a little bit in Sudbury, you knew you'd made that mistake, but as long as they're being, I think that fairness, that honesty is all you're asking for as a player from a coach. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know what, I think players have a pretty good sense of uh, what's what, what's right, what's wrong. And um, you're almost doing yourself a disservice as a coach. If, if you, if you don't address certain things, because then players are saying, well, this guy actually maybe might not care. Right. And, um, you know, in, in, in instances like that, that I had with Fuchs or, you know, with torts, you could tell that those guys cared about you. And, you know, I think that drives you a little more as a player to, um, you know, to, to take care of your own backyard. And, and also it, it kind of drives it home, you know, how important it is for you to be a, a contributor for a team as well. From the Vancouver Canucks, you end up with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I can't help but think as a Woodbridge boy, I mean, basically you're a hometown kid on the team. Was that the closest thing to a hockey dream come true for you? 100%. Yeah. I mean, I grew up big, a big Leaf fan here. Um, had my Leafs jerseys. I'd, I'd wear them all the time. Uh, loved going to games as a kid. So yeah, that was, that was, I mean, as surreal as it gets. And uh, definitely a dream come true for me. You might have become, cause you, you struggled in and out of the lineup there. You might've become one of the most famous healthy scratches the Leafs ever had in the organization. Easily, easily the most popular eighth defenseman in franchise history. <laughs> so that just speaks to the level of scrutiny on the organization and the media attention. What, I mean, how aware yeah. of it were you before you got there? And then what did it feel like when you were in it? Well, for sure you're aware of it before you get there because I grew up in this market. So I know exactly what it was like. I'm watching, you know, TSN and all this stuff all the time. So you know exactly what it's like. Um, and then when I got there, I got to live it firsthand, which I thought was really um, really something, um, but you know, it'd be interesting. We, we'd lose a game and, you know, you'd go on Twitter just to check Twitter, but sure enough, there's your name after a game. And I'm thinking like, it, it's great. It's amazing support. I, I, you know, I, I got such great support from the fans here in Toronto and, and really everywhere, even in Vancouver as well. And um, was very blessed that way um, to have that kind of support, but it was always interesting to see that happening because I was thinking, you know, I'm, like two guys out from being in the lineup right now, you know, uh, it's very flattering. Um, and, and it was really cool. And, you know, you could see the difference, right? You, you play with the Leafs, a Saturday morning home game, the buzz around a hockey night in Canada morning skate is like nothing you'll ever see in this sport. It's, it's really, I mean, it's captivating and it's all encompassing and, um, it, it, it's quite the experience to see that there's such a cool game day buzz in Toronto, but especially on Saturday night. Any similarities between Mike Babcock in Toronto and torts in Vancouver? No, no, no. <laughs> Just leave that one as a one word answer. No similarities. We'll talk. We'll talk <laughs> off air about that. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. The next NHL stop uh, happened to be in a place where guys like Crosby and Malkin called home. Uh, what's it like being in a room with those two guys? 
It was great. Uh, sorry, my dog's barking in the background. <laughs> it's okay. Mine we were might, barking uh, upstairs. I don't know if you heard it or not, but <laughs> yeah. So we might we might have to take this. I hope your uh, your listeners don't mind. We're taking this interview on the go uh, because my wife is on a work call right now as well. So um, it was incredible to go see you know to play with those guys, Malkin and Crosby, and I mean that was the first time I had ever really been starstruck in my career to to you know be. Um, in the same dressing room as Sidney Crosby and playing with him. And, um, you know, Mal- Malkin's not much of a talker, especially for, for a guy like me who's just kind of new on the scene there or um, a call up. But um, to see the way Sid, Sid is everything you, you want him to be and more. He's, he's so impressive on the ice, off the ice, the way he treats people. Um, you know, he, he's not too big for anyone. He really is. Um, he, I mean, he, he's such a role model, I think to a lot of people. And then when you meet him, um, you know, he meets that expectation. And then some, it was really, really impressive to see. I wondered about that, how much you would take away from how Sidney Crosby prepares for a game. What's he like in practice, how he carries himself off the ice. Obviously you were drinking all of this. in. you know what? He's the hardest working guy every practice. He really is. He's the hardest working guy in the gym. He really, really drives the bus for that organization. And I think that's a testament to, to him. And, and, and also with that organization, everyone needs to fall in line under that. When, when the best player, the star player is working that hard, everyone else needs to follow suit or else it's, it's, it's just, you're not going to, you're not going to play there. It's not going to fly. Right. And um, he does that. He's out there after practice working on, tipping pucks and face offs and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he'll ask, he asked me from time to time, Hey, can you take some point shots for me? And I'm like, yeah, I'll take some point shots. No problem, man. It's like, so um, it's, it was really cool. And, and such a, such an amazing experience to see him up close and personal like that. With all this talk about your time in the national hockey league, I, I kind of skipped over uh, what just, Looking at you on paper, Frankie, I, I might think was one of the highlights of your professional career, and that was a Calder Cup final with Utica, losing yeah. to Manchester in that final. But does that stand yeah. out for you as perhaps the highlight professionally? Big time. And, and that was probably one of the, like the, the best uh, groups of guys I've ever played with in my career. And you know, going back to that first year in Utica, we started the season 0-10. And from January onward, we were one of the best teams in the league. We ended up missing the playoffs by a couple points. So it was, and we kept a lot of that same group together. And coming into the next season, I think there was a lot of confidence around us that we were going to be a good team. And then you add Jacob Markstrom to that mix as our goaltender. And we were like, okay, don't make any plans because I feel like we're going to go deep. Um, And sure enough, we did, you know, we did get to the, the Calder Cup finals. And, and I, I think the, the thing that I remember about our team that whole season was we could play it any way you wanted. You want to play it one, nothing. You want to play six, five, you want to play rough. You want to play skilled. Like we had it all. Um, and we just ran into a Manchester team that had been together a little longer. Um, you know, they've, they could, I guess they've had some playoff failures and they had kept that group together for uh, a few seasons now. Um, and they got the best of us. I think we lost the first two games in overtime, which was devastating. So, um, but that was, that was such a cool experience to be one of the last two teams playing in that entire league was, uh, I mean, we talk about in the OHL, but in, in the American hockey league, 
you know, we were playing games where, you know, that every, every organization is very well represented and everyone's watching you. And, and, and one thing, like everyone had individual, I guess, rewards the next summer, because when you go deep into the playoffs like that, everyone's getting to see a little more and you kind of, you know, we didn't win. So you can't brand us winners, but it, it gives, it gives people a better feeling about you as a player when you have playoff success like that. When I looked up and down that roster of that Utica team, a, a number of uh, former OHLers jump out. I think Tommy Stastito was there, Bo Horvat, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but just a bunch of guys from the O that you might not have crossed paths with there, but you end up with somewhere along the hockey path. How many guys do you manage to keep in touch with, if any, from teams past? Yeah, I mean, so there's always a few guys that, that kind of you keep in touch with a little more. Um, and then the, the, the cool thing I find is like when you see guys that maybe you haven't spoken to in a little while, you kind of just pick up where you left off. And I think that's the coolest thing about our sport and uh, the friendships that you make along the way, because everyone's man, everyone's busy. Everyone's going to new teams. Everyone's got big summer plans. Everyone's got stuff going on. But, you know, you run into guys every once in a while or, you know, you get the odd message on Instagram or, or Twitter and it's like, all right, we're just we're just picking up where we left off, and it's it's uh, it's usually uh, um, it's usually pretty fun conversations. I, I you know I, I got to say we were at the wedding this summer. We were at Ryan Murphy's Ryan Murphy's wedding, and Ben Thompson was there, and Spinelli, and Michael Catanacci, and um, we had my wedding. So Murph was there, Cat was there, um, you know. So it was it, it's great to see these guys and, and catch up. Man, oh man, Michael Catanacci and I, I got to get him. I can't believe I haven't had him on this podcast yet. Don't tell him you were first. He'll get mad at me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. You should, <laughs> you should uh, see what he's doing. Get him on the podcast. I only talk to him every day, so uh, I'm sure I could help you out. <laughs> okay. If I he need that, I'll Did you know yeah. that? He was my best man. He and I just, re you, you talk about, and this is a complete tangent, but that kind of picking up where you left off, Cat and I reconnected last summer, spring-ish, completely out of the blue and randomly. And it was the same thing. It was like we had never left doing games together in the Ontario hockey league. Yeah. Uh, good, yeah, good young man. For sure. Yeah. Good choice on that best man. If you, you know, if in case you needed that validation on it, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what led to the decision to uh, go overseas and play in Europe? Um, I just think it was something I was thinking about for a little while. And I gave it one last go with Belleville um, and it went really well, but I think a lot of the uncertainty around the American Hockey League not playing. And um, I think that kind of led to a, an exodus of, of guys in my position who had vet status and had been around for quite a while to, to go and play and, and keep relevant. And um, it was it was cool. It was cool to go see a different part of the world, play some different hockey, meet some new people. And um, I'm, I'm happy I did go over because it was it was something that had kind of been you know on my mind prior to signing with Belleville. Do you feel in, in light of well, what's it what's it like playing over there? I mean, what we hear on, on this side of the world, of course, is um, it's not quite as physical. The money's not bad, but completely different style of hockey. How would you fit in? Yes. Swedish hockey is a little different. Swedish hockey is actually quite physical. Um, there's very a lot of puck pursuit in Swedish hockey. So you, you don't get many freebies, um, whereas in the KHL where I was last year, not as much puck pursuit, very conservative, a lot of perimeter play, a lot of highly skilled players, more money, um, where Swedish hockey's the money's not quite the same, good money, but um, every game's 
a battle. Every game's a grind. So very stark differences between the hockey in, in both countries. How'd you feel about Europe as a place to live for a while? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was great. They they have a great way of life there. Um, you know, it's a little more laid back. It's actually quite a bit more laid back. Um, but, uh, you know, even certain things like, you know, if you ever needed repairs done at your house or anything like that, like, yeah, it's, it's coming. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get to it. Right. Like, but, um, yeah, the Wi-Fi went out. Yeah, don't worry. You don't need Wi-Fi. We'll get it next week. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, it was it was great. The food was uh, spectacular. Even, you know, going around and seeing um, different parts of Sweden. And, uh, we weren't able to do that much traveling just with the schedule um, and, and uh, the COVID restrictions that year. But um, I mean, it, it's it's cool because you're not a tourist, you know, you're really immersed in the culture. So you really get to see what it's like to, to, to live a day to day life somewhere else. And I thought that was really cool. And, and, and in Sweden, they have a, a really nice thing going. Yeah, great perspective to bring back here to North America, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And it kind of humbles you a little bit. And, um, you know, you, you could take certain things that you like, some things you don't like, some things we might be doing better. So it just, you know, it gives you it just gives you more perspective on life and people and, and all that kind of stuff. Do you feel like you're at a bit of a crossroads right now, Frankie? I mean, you're still a young man. If the if the hip is okay, if the body's okay, are you still a hockey player? Are you are you focused maybe on broadcasting and you're going to stick with that? Like, where's Frankie Corrado at right now? It is it is quite a crossroads. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where you know you wonder if the if the juice is worth the squeeze, if you know what I mean, right? And uh, you know to travel halfway around the world for another year and um it's you know where's you kind of wonder like what's the progression where's the progression i'm really lucky like listen i played in the nhl even if it was for a short while played for the maple leafs you know lived out a dream there um you know went to europe for a little bit um you know i think right now what i have on my plate with tsn you know i'll be doing um leaf games uh for tsn 1050 on the radio side so i'm doing pre-games intermissions and post-games um, I'll be doing CHL panel when we, when we kick off again. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's some cool opportunities to try some, some other things, some, maybe some NHL panels, some analysis work and sports center, or that's hockey. So there's all kinds of, um, new and exciting opportunities. And, um, you know, it's there, there, maybe there's room for progression there, whereas playing has, has, um, you know, I don't want to say come to an end, but, um, you know, just to go over, play for X amount of dollars and then come back and, you know, kind of reestablish all that again. Um, I just, you, 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 it is a crossroads, right? You wonder if it is, um, if it is worth it. So, Hey, we'll see. I'm, uh, I'm definitely giving, uh, the media, um, you know, opportunities quite a, quite a look and, and, and enjoying them, uh, to be honest with you, I really, um, I love going to the studio. I love going to games. I love talking hockey. Um, you know, my wife's happy because I'm, I'm talking hockey to other people now and, and she doesn't have to hear it all, which is, which is great. Um, they give me a microphone. So I'm talking to thousands of people. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a fun experience. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, how did it all start? How did you end up your first opportunity in broadcasting? Well, do you know who Al's brother is, Mike? 
who's oh <laughs> have you ever heard of a guy named al's brother al's brother uh i'm, I'm going i've got so many al's going through my head but i don't think i do. no no al's brother. Don't, don't, no don't even worry so okay. so al's brother is a he's a, a character on the tsn 1050 um with overdrive okay and um he's the host of leaf's lunch and um there was a day where I was home here in December rehabbing and we had connected and he said, Hey, any chance you want to do a phone in hit on uh, Leaf's lunch to talk about the Leaf?" I said, yeah, no problem. Um, give me a call. So we ended up doing the phone hit and a couple of weeks later, um, the producer of the show, Leaf's lunch, Stephanie Apolito reached out to me and asked if I had an interest in guest uh, co-hosting with my pal, Al's brother, I guess, Julia Tashery, the, uh, the normal co-host had requested a couple of days off. So sure enough, I, I did two days of co-hosting with Al's brother. And from there, um, it kind of snowballed. I got a call from one of the TV producers asking if I had any interest in doing the uh, CHL on TSN, which is a new product that they were going to be launching. And, um, and then that even turned into Stephanie, the producer of Leafs Lunch, asking if I had any interest in doing um, the Leafs games on radio. So the pregame shows, the intermissions and the postgame and um, so I followed through on both and, and then this summer did a lot of radio, uh, fill in work on overdrive and, um, even leaf lunch, um, as the summer winded down or sorry, the summer got going and the show winded down and, um, you know, I'll be doing some, some panel work coming up. Um, I'm doing the Habs and the Sens on October 1st and 4th. So if you live in the, uh, Habs and Sens region, you can watch those on TSN and, um, so there's, you know, it kind of just snowballed and, and now um, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of taken on a little bit of a life of its own here. That's absolutely fantastic. And I look, I feel like an absolute fool for not knowing Al's brother. I'm going to cop to it just being my loyalties, Frankie, because as you know, I work for the big corporate Rogers media side. And TSN oh, is, is right? Out. So there you go. And I, I even okay. spent time at TSN 1050's ultimate competitor a little lower down the dial at Sportsnet 590, the fan. So, okay. This, I mean, I, it's, a, it's actually amazing. We've made it this far into our conversation without coming to blows over the fan, TSN, Bell. Look at that. Rogers, like, hey, come on, right? Just a couple, just a couple friends having a chat. That's all it exactly. is. Solving the world's problems. So what, what yeah. is more nerve wracking suiting up for, let's say a, a Leafs game uh, on a Saturday night or getting behind the microphone for the first time and, and talking on your own show? I've got to say it's the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> the microphone when the cameras are rolling is another beast. And I think hockey, you just, uh, you know, the buildup to the game is, is, is a little um, anxiety inducing for me and, and nerve wracking. But once the game got going, it kind of just felt a little more like a hockey game. Uh, you just kind of get into a rhythm and, doesn't mean I played any better, but you know, that's how it felt. Um, whereas the, the microphone, it, it, it brings up a lot of those same feelings, the, um, you know, the, the butterflies in your stomach and the, the nervousness, but um, it's, um, the, and that's the thing that I find cool about it as well, right? You get that, that rush. It's very engaging. And as you would know, like you're, you're on TV, you're on the microphone. It, it is very engaging. And um, but you're, I mean, you're such a pro now anyways, you just, you might as well be smoking a cigar doing a game. 
I love I love the microphone and I love radio. From day one when I got into this business, Frankie, it was all about radio. And of course, everything has changed so much. I mean, you and I are recording a podcast, which will go on the internet, which is a whole other medium. TV just became a part of what I do. But I don't know about you. I still get the occasional comment. Your tie was crooked. Something was on the corner of your chin. Like, what? whatever. Do you get that stuff when you're on yeah. TV now, too? Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> who's who's telling you that your producer or Twitter? I wish it was my, but that's what the producer should do. So it's either Twitter right. or my wife. When I get home, do you know your time? Uh, no, I didn't, honey. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> okay. I got to give shout out, shout out to our CHL producer, Megan. She's always letting me know if my tie's a little undone. So yeah. Great job by Megan. I think we just learned that the producers at Bell are better than my producers have been at Rogers. I'm not, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> Uh, I think you got a, a ton of uh, runway in front of you here. I've really enjoyed watching your work and this has been great to catch up. Thanks so much for doing this podcast with me. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. And it was nice to catch up. Frankie Corrado drafted into the Ontario hockey league by the Sudbury wolves, the nickel city with that mangy wolf on a wire that comes screaming out over center ice every time the wolves score a goal. And then in his final season in the O, he's traded to the Kitchener Rangers. That was the 2012-13 season. 50th anniversary of the Rangers that year with John Gibson in goal. And a lot was expected of that Rangers team. Unfortunately, their season was ended versus the London Knights that year. But we just recounted all of that with Frankie, who has been just a great guy to stay in touch with over all of these years. Went on to play 76 games in the National Hockey League with the Canucks, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he joins us this week on the OHL podcast. Listen, if there's ever a guest that you'd like to see featured on this podcast, shoot me a note, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Please like, subscribe, leave a review, uh, send some feedback if you want to that email address as well, ohlpodcast at rogers.com, or find me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Love this league, love major junior hockey, and love getting these stories from the players and the coaches and the executives, officials that have been a part of it in the past. So keep the feedback coming. Let us know if there's a guest you'd like to see featured and tell a friend about this podcast. You'll find us on YouTube at the OHL podcast, on Instagram at the OHL podcast, Facebook, the OHL podcast, pretty much everywhere and including in a rink near you. Uh, my name is Mike Farwell. Your next episode of the OHL podcast will be out next Tuesday. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.